Good morning. We are glad you're here. It's a beautiful day. We are thankful for the opportunity to be together. Today has been a day of first. It's good to have James McKinney lead our singing this morning. James did a great job, and we appreciate him stepping up. And it just goes to show you how many talented people that we have here at Olive Branch, and we're grateful for that. Uh, Brother Torrance Moore, another first, led our study this morning in Bible class, did an outstanding job. And so we appreciate him and the study that he put in to make his presentation today. And so we are grateful for all of you who make up the church here for the contributions that you make to the cause. We are eternally grateful. We're looking today at Psalm 90. Psalm 90. I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Psalms and think about what has been recorded for us. I want to begin today by saying that our study will accentuate the theme today, make wise usage of your time. We have 1,440 minutes added to our account every single day. That's how much time is in a 24-hour period. And so really the question comes down to this. How wisely or unwisely will we use our time? Moses, of course, has been credited with writing Psalm 90. Moses had, no doubt, a lot of opportunity to reflect upon life and death. You remember Moses was the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. He led the children of God out of Egyptian bondage. And sadly, because the people believed the unfavorable report of the ten spies, they were destined to dwell in the wilderness for 40 years. Those who were 20 and above did not have the opportunity to enter the promised land. Moses himself prohibited from entering that great land of promise. The writer of the book of Numbers, that being Moses, identifies Canaan as a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses had the opportunity to see the land, but pre prevented or prohibited from entering that great land of promise. And so over that period, or over that span of 40 years, Moses came face to face with the brevity of life. No doubt, many, many people died in the wilderness. And so in Psalm 90, Moses provides us with a glimpse into the character of God the Creator. And then he looks from another vantage point. That is, he looks at the character of God's creation. So I want to begin today by calling attention to Psalm 90. And as we begin our study today, I want to just very quickly point this out. Moses provides us with a glimpse into some of the many characteristics of Almighty God. We might call it a profile or some features of the Lord. And so what it does is identify two things about God that stood out in his mind. Number one, he talks about the perpetuity of God, the perpetuity of the Lord. He would say, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I cannot begin to fathom a being that had no beginning point and has no ending point. 
And yet that's exactly what Moses is saying here. That God is a timeless being. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Isaiah the prophet in the long ago in chapter 40 of his book asked the question, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God? And then he went on to say the creator of the ends of the earth. In the book of Revelation, John in chapter 21 of his book, and John provides a glimpse into that heavenly city. And the one who made the promises concerning this heavenly city, God. And God said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's the one we're talking about here. And there is a contrast in Psalm 90 between the temporal, that being creation, and the eternal, ultimately that being God. So first he identifies something about the perpetuity of God. But then he makes mention of the power of God. And when we're talking about an eternal God, a God who had no beginning, who has no ending, one who is self-sustaining. You remember in John chapter 8 when Jesus said to the Jews of his day, except you believe that I am. Same phrase used in Exodus chapter 3, when God called upon Moses to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. And the idea was, I am that I am. I am the eternal self-existent one. That's who we're talking about. And so this eternal self-existent one is the one who brought forth the mountains. And as Moses said, who created or formed the earth, and world. And really the idea is that God is the one who gave birth to the world as we know it. In the book of Psalms, David, you remember, and David was the king over the United Kingdom, probably the best king in the history of the Israelite nation. And David said in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. You remember in Psalm 33, David would say, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He said he spoke and it was done. He commanded it stood fast. The Hebrew writer in chapter 3 at verse 4 would say, every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. So Moses is talking about here not just the perpetuity of God, but also the fact that God is a powerful being. And by the way, in contrasting God and God the Creator and God's creation, you remember in Psalm 90, listen to what the psalmist said in verse 4. A thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it had passed. We talk about a thousand years. And I can't imagine all the things that have taken place over the course of the past 1,000 years, a millennium of time, 2,000 years. 3,000 years goes all the way back to Abraham. And what God is saying through Moses here is, I am a timeless being, I am a perpetual being, and I am a powerful being. So first... We talk about his features. But then Moses acknowledges something about the faithfulness of God. 
Moses came to understand that the God that he was serving was faithful, one to be trusted in, relied upon. So listen to him in verse 1 of Psalm 90. He said, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. The idea is that God has always been a refuge for His people. That God has been able to sustain His people through good times and bad times. No doubt Moses faced a lot of adversity and trial and tribulation. There were many setbacks to his work as a leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. And yet Moses could say with confidence that you are the one in whom I have put my trust. You have been my dwelling place. You have been the one in whom I have found refuge time and again. The psalmist in Psalm 46 said, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Down through the years, many of us, we have come to appreciate and love the Psalms. One of the reasons is because the Psalms indicate to us that we serve a God who is deeply concerned about our plight here on planet Earth. That He is moved to aid us in times of difficulty and adversity. You remember in Psalm 55, David, of course, talks about the adversities that he had faced in his life. And David would say, cast your burden on the Lord. He said, He will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be moved. So Moses knew something about the faithfulness of God. The fact that God had been his source of refuge in troubled times. And so as I look at Psalm 9 and as I think about looking to God with confidence, Moses also looked to God for compassion. Drop down if you would and look at verse 13. Moses said, Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, and the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now just think for a minute or two. Look at all that Moses had been through in his life up until this point in time. He had been reared in the court of Egypt learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, mighty in word and deed. This was a man that grew up in royalty. And then for 40 years, learned something about trusting God. At the age of 80, summoned to be a great leader on behalf of God. Lived to be 120 years of age. Over the course of 40 years, don't you think that Moses came to appreciate and understand something about the goodness and graciousness of God? That even though they had dealt with trials and tribulations, even though there had been unbelief demonstrated time and again, God was a gracious God 
manifesting His compassion and care toward them time and again. Moses here looks to God for compassion as we do sometimes. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one who has been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. The Hebrew writer there saying to us that Jesus is our great high priest. And He can understand and empathize and have compassion toward us as His people. Now, there's a second thing I want you to look at in our study. First, we talk about God the Creator, but now God's creation. Moses, in a sense, placed God under a microscope and talks about some of the wonderful attributes of Almighty God, but now he looks at man under that same microscope. And there's quite a contrast, quite a difference. So I want to begin by noting, if you would, what he has to say about the brevity of life. The brevity of life. Note, if you would, down in verse 10. Here's what Moses said, The days of our lives are 70 years. And by reason of strength, they're 80 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. I mentioned a moment ago, Moses and the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. No doubt there were many people that succumbed to death. For Moses, death was a reality. And really, in this psalm, he points out not just the reality of death, the brevity of life, but the reason for death. That traces all the way back to the garden. Note, if you would, what he has to say. In verse 3, you turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. The idea is that we were made in the image and the likeness of God. God formed man from the dust of the earth. What Moses is saying is basically what's recorded in Genesis chapter 3. You came forth from dust, and to dust, he said, you'll return. Well, why? Because of sin. Because of what occurred in the Garden of Eden. When man transgressed the law of God, Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden, that utopian environment no longer having access to the tree of life. And so Paul in Romans chapter 5 would say, By one man death entered into the world, and death passed upon all men. Why? Because all sinned. So listen now to what he says. You carry them away like a flood. It's like the tide rolling in and rolling back out. People are coming into the world, and people are leaving this world every day. He said they're like a sleep comparing life and its brevity to sleep. You go to bed at night, sleep eight, nine hours, wake up, just seems like a momentary thing. He said in the morning they're like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up, in the evening it's cut down. Now look at verse 7. This really goes back to the heart of what Moses is saying regarding the reason for death. We've been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. 
we finish our years like a sigh. Then, of course, in verse 10, the days of our years are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they're 80 years, he said, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. It is soon cut off and we fly away. I noted this week, I just did some, some looking on Google, trying to somehow put life into perspective. And what Moses is saying here is that we might live to be 70 years of age. It might be the case that we live to be 80. But as he noted, life is soon cut off and what happens? We fly away. So let me just share some information with you. If you were to live 79 years upon this earth, that would equate to 28,835 days. 26, 26 years of your life will have been spent sleeping. Another seven years trying to go to sleep. 33 years. You will work some 13 years and two months. You'll spend three years on social media. Four years and six months you'll spend eating. A year and four months exercising. I thought this was really interesting. One writer said that women will spend 136 days getting ready to go somewhere. <laughs> Men will only spend 46 days. So again, how are you spending your time? I read also, according to Nielsen, if you live to be 65 years of age, you'll spend nine years watching television. That equates to two months round the clock over the course of a year. Can you imagine that? Two months of your life sitting in front of a television set. Nine years watching TV. 28 hours per week. Somewhat sobering, isn't it? You could break life down into four quarters. If you're 1 to 20, 0 to 20, you're in the first quarter of life. 21 to 40, you're in the second quarter. When you hit the age of 41, guess what? You're in the third quarter of your life. Over 60, fourth quarter. Over 80, I don't know what to say about 80. I guess just thank God you're alive. Time gets away so quickly, doesn't it? I mean, literally, it just, here today, gone tomorrow. You know, David said, I was young, now I'm old. One of the things that I've learned about the aging process, it is very humbling, isn't it? You know, it's humbling to think about things that you used to do, things that you had no problem doing, but now beyond the scope of your ability. It's amazing the number of professional athletes that want to play even into the extended years of their lives. And yet so many times, what happens? Time, Father Time always wins out, doesn't it? And we always have great aspirations, but the bottom line is the brevity of life. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. James would say that life is like a vapor. 
It appears for a little while, and then, he said, it vanishes away. The Hebrew writer acknowledged this. He said, it is appointed unto man once to die after this comes to judgment. I don't have to reason with you about death. We know about death. We see it all too often in the world in which we live. And we are reminded that death stalks those of us who belong to the human family. And so as I think about the brevity of life, there's a second thought here. And that is, even though life is brief, there are some blessings that go along with life, aren't there? No matter how much trial and adversity we face in this life, there are still some good things that emerge out of life. We're blessed to be here today. You begin taking stock of all the blessings that you enjoy. You begin trying to enumerate those blessings one by one. Let me tell you what, your cup no doubt runs over. So what about the blessed life? Note if you would verse 12. Moses said, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What that says to me is we need to be very wise when it comes to our time here on earth. We need to be wise when it comes to our time and with our tour on earth. So you ask the question, well, how so? Let's just think for a minute about our tour. Let's just talk maybe for a moment or two about how we're spending our time. You have to make a conscious decision every single day of how you're going to use your time. And you know, when you think about time, we live in the present. We don't live in the past. We don't live in the future. But all we have is the here and now. So I want to begin by saying, as you think about your tour here on planet Earth, First and foremost, we need to live with priorities. We've got to somehow decide what's important, what's not important. What's relevant to life as we know it, and then sift through those things that are irrelevant in life. Is it not the case that sometimes we focus on things that really are inconsequential to our well-being physically and spiritually? So what about living with priority? Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, seek first. That means before anything else. He said, you seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus there in that context talking about how we become anxious and worried over this and that. And Jesus is saying, look, what you need to do is prioritize your life. And make sure that first and foremost, you're seeking the kingdom. Could I ask you a question? Up until this point in time in your life, with regard to the priorities that you have, what's number one? What's first in your life? It ought to be God, number one. And behind God, no doubt, would be family. And then you can begin charting what's important to you after that. 
But at the apex of that chart is Almighty God. And you know, Jesus said we're to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. If we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, we'll put Him first, won't we? Didn't John say we love Him because He first loved us? You think about how good and gracious God has been to you and how you've been blessed time and again. The psalmist said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God's good to His people. So the question is, have we made it a priority to put Him first in our lives? And guess what? We don't have to go around telling people the Lord's first in our lives. They can see it. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, The tree is known by its fruit. So number one, live with a sense of priority. Number two, live with purpose. Well, there are a lot of people in our world today. They're just floating aimlessly through life. They have no sense of direction, no sense of purpose, no sense of being. There are three questions that people have asked through the ages. Number one, where did we come from? Number two, what are we doing here? Number three, where are we headed? In our study, we're concerned about what are we doing here? What's our purpose? I encourage you this week, go back and read Ecclesiastes. Go back and sift through what Solomon recorded in that great book, 12 chapters. You can read through that book, two chapters a day, and get through it by Saturday. Solomon had the opportunity to experience a lot of different things in this life. Solomon was on a quest to understand in his own mind what life's really about. Solomon came to understand that the things that sometimes we put at the forefront of life and the things that sometimes we think will make us happy and satisfied and content really don't scratch the itch. And so he said, here's the conclusion of my studies. If you want to know what I've concluded, based upon trial, experience, Solomon said, fear God, keep His commandments. Why? Because this is man's all. That's our purpose. We're here to glorify God, to live for Him, to serve Him, and to live in such a way so that one day we can be with Him in heaven. What about your purpose in life? Do you even have a purpose in life? I think it's always helpful to take personal inventory, to find out where we are in life. You know, we do that at the conclusion of every year on the job, don't we? You know, sometimes our employer will sit down and he'll talk about things that we've done well, things that maybe we need to improve upon, Sometimes our employer, whether it be a male or a female, will say, you know what? Here's some things that I perceive to be a strength on the job in your life. Here's some things I think you need to work upon. Well, what about with regard to evaluating our purpose? What's your purpose in life? Do you understand what you're here for? Do you understand the one in whom you're to serve? So, third thought, live productively. In the book of Proverbs, 
Solomon talks a lot about the lazy, indolent, people that waste time. I think that we're here for a purpose. That purpose is to be productive on behalf of God. Remember Jesus in John chapter 15? When Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. In other words, we're to live in such a way so that we leave a mark, a legacy, if you please, in the world. When you leave this world, will you leave the world a better place than when you got here? How are you going to be remembered? When people look back over your life and they think about things that you did or did not do, what will they call to mind? You know, Solomon said a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. You are literally writing a book, an autobiography of your life right now. One day, people will look back with fondness over your life. It might be that people will look back and their thought will be, what if? What if? he had done this, or what if she had done that, or what if, you get the point. So what kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of footprint are you leaving upon the world in which you live? Let me tell you what, you're leaving a footprint one way or another. So we need to live with priority, purpose. We need to be productive. And I would say this, I would add this very quickly. We're to live passionately in life. Are there people that you've grown close to over the years? Friends? You tell them how much you appreciate them? You tell them how much you admire them? Do you let them know what they mean to you? And we talk about being passionate for God. Many of us, we've grown close to one another. And we appreciate certain people because of what they mean to us, our family members. Do they know we love them? Do we tell them? You know, there'll come a day when we can't verbalize what our family means to us because either we'll die or they'll die first. So do we let them know how much we appreciate them? Do you let your children know day in and day out that you love them unconditionally? You let your grandchildren know that. Do you tell your spouse you love him or her every day? You ought to. You ought to express how you feel about other people. I think it's important. We ought to live passionately. Life, life has so many different things that we enjoy. One of the great beauties of life is family and friends. I believe they make life richer, don't you? So, live with passion. And then, note also, we ought to live with a presence. Live with a presence. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men. Did you know you are a light in a darkened world of sin? We talk about leaving a footprint, a having a presence in this world. John said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. And what 
Jesus said is, you're to be a light. The Lord Jesus Himself said, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. To the church at Ephesus, He said, you were once darkness, but now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Let me tell you what, you are needed more today than ever before in terms of your Christian influence. This nation needs to see people who love God with all of their heart, soul, and mind. This nation needs a dose of righteousness. The only way that's going to come about is by Christian people having a presence in this life. You know, Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, and the idea is that you're to be a leavening agent for good in this world. So be wise when it comes to your tour, and then be wise with your time. I mentioned a moment ago, 1,440 minutes are given to you every single day. You know, you could go to the grocery store today, and buy one of those little Visa cards, and you could put $50, $100, or maybe more than that on it, and give that to a family member or, or a friend as a present. And they can use that card until that amount has been exhausted. You have 1,440 minutes credited to your account every single day. You can't stop those minutes. You can't, you can't stop those minutes. You can't save them. You can't share them. They're yours and yours alone. So how are you using that time? How are you using the time that God has blessed you with here on earth? No wonder Moses said, teach us to remember our days. To understand, here today, gone tomorrow. Be wise with your time said a moment ago, you could break life down into four quarters. Isn't it amazing if you're over the age of 40 in all probability, you're on the other side of life, aren't you? Now think about that. That's how fast life goes. And so the point, use the time that you have wisely. I want to encourage you today, if you're not a Christian, we all make decisions on a daily basis. Some good, some not so good. Sometimes we squander opportunities. Every time we come together, one of the things that we do is extend the invitation. We do that because there are always people who are present who are not Christians. Now understand that God is interested in you as a human being, as an eternal soul. And the Bible says God would not have any to be lost, but rather that all men come to repentance. God's desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so if you're here today, let's just say that you're not a Christian, and you understand that Jesus came, lived, and died for your sins, and that because He came and lived and died for you, you now live for Him. Well, what would you need to do? Well, first you've got to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, how do we begin that walk? 
We've got to come to understand who Jesus is, that He's the divine Son of the living God. And then to repent or give up a life of sin. It's called repentance. A change of heart followed by a change in our activities. And then to confess with our mouth what we believe, that Jesus is indeed that Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And then to be immersed in water so that all of our sins can be washed away. Have you done that? Right now you're living in the present. You have no promise of tomorrow. No promise that you'll be back here next Sunday, nor do I. That's why Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, today is the day of salvation. If you want to be saved, you need to do it today. Don't wait. If you're here today, and let's just say that as a child of God, you, like that prodigal, have gone back into the world. You're not happy. You're not satisfied. You've tried what the world is peddling, and you've come to the conclusion, you know what, there's more to life than just what meets the eye. That being the case, you want to be back in fellowship with God. You want to enjoy once again all those great blessings that we have in Christ. Could we pray with you and for you today? And to know that there is a loving God in heaven who will welcome us, welcome us back home. In Luke 15, Jesus talked about the angels of God rejoicing in the presence of the Father over one sinner who repents. That one person could be you. The angels, as we speak, are waiting to rejoice over you coming home. Would you come as we stand and sing?